What's up, Daves? It's Chris from the Political Activist Anonymous podcast. Not going to be doing the Juggalo Patriot gimmick today. Today I'm going to react to some audio from a podcast that I listened to while I'm at work called the Nevada Conservative Forum with Sherman Ray. Sherman was giving his analysis of what he called the fourth place candidate for the Democratic nomination uh, on the presidential race, Pete Buttigieg. I looked up how to pronounce it. It's difficult. It's very difficult for uh, for Sherman. But uh, the 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 part that I'm going to pull out is the part where Sherman talks about Lieutenant Pete's military service. Just to give you some background, my perspective: I joined the Navy in October of 1990. Went into the United States ceremonial United States Navy ceremonial guard where I. Uh, did funeral services, retirements, the first inauguration of Bill Clinton. Uh, from there, I went to Navy Intelligence School. I signed a two-year extension and got out in August of 95. After that, I joined the United States Army Reserves in 2000 and served in the reserves until 2006. So I'm going to try and correct or react and not use profanity. I've got my beer and my proper 12 down here to hopefully calm my nerves. If it looks like I'm flipping out, it's because I'm flipping out. I've already listened to this several times and I'm, I'm going to try not to lose my mind. I want this to be consumable by all audiences, so I'm going to not use any profanity and I'm not going to freak out. And if you hear a dog bark in the background, I've got a watchdog and there's a pool cleaner coming so the dog is it's got a, a taste for pool cleaner so just don't worry about that either let's talk about his military career because many of you this is crazy i mean it really is very crazy that mayor pete gets on tv talks to you know i think we all remember when he was talking to beto o'rourke and he goes you know what i don't need any and he got his little dander up you saw his little panties get all get all wadded up when he talked to he talked to Beto O'Rourke and he goes, I don't need don't need to hear anything from you about valor or anything like that because I strapped on my gun and I was in battle and everything else. Was he was he really was Mayor Pete in battle because he's he was armed, I guess. So let's find out his military career. OK, 2014 Mayor Pete. Began his deployment at Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. Okay, if you look at, uh, um, if you if you look at uh, Mayor Pete, um, you you say to yourself, "Wow, he was man, he was he was in the Navy. I mean, he was in the Naval Reserve." Okay, okay. Um, um, he in two thousand seven while volunteering for, and I'm going to read. I'm just going to read through what Wikipedia has on here. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about Mayor Pete's dis, his sacrifice that he made joining the Naval Reserve. On the other side of the break here, folks, this is Sherman Ray of the Nevada Conservative Forum. You're not going to want to miss this. You really aren't. We'll be back in just a minute. I think you need to know about this. This guy is the Manchurian candidate with really bad hair. Okay, so uh, uh, so anyways, let's let's talk about his military career. While volunteering, this is this is, should be written in a book. It really should be. It should be written in a friggin' book about uh, like a Harlequin romance. While volunteering for Barack Obama's president campaign, 
presidential campaign, Buttigieg was spurred to join the military after witnessing the disparities between communities that had large amounts of youth missing due to military service and those that had barely any serving. Who the heck wrote this? I got to ask you, is this supposed to be like Wikipedia or is it supposed to be like a Harlequin romance? He was spurred. I'm waiting for Jim Kirk to come out and go, he was spurred to join the military. Okay. My gosh. Really? So everyone's got their reason for joining the military. I joined because my granddad, my dad, my uncles, they all served uh, on my dad's side of the family. My granddad on my mom's side of the family served. So it was important to me to serve, and I didn't have anything going on in the small town that I lived in. My dad didn't want me to stay there and become a factory worker. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I decided to join the Navy just for a job and to kind of follow a family tradition. According to what Mayor Pete is saying in in the Wikipedia article that Sherman's reading from, Mayor Pete was seeing some sort of disparity between the people that were joining the military from certain communities, maybe I guess because he's a privileged person, he felt like it was his obligation to join and kind of represent the privileged. If you've seen what I've seen up until this point, from the time that this kid graduated high school, he has been cold and calculating about everything he has done. And this is no different. He is padding his resume. He didn't join the military, folks. He joined the reserves. Okay. Remember when I said I wasn't going to freak out? Because, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, yeah, when I joined the Army Reserves in, in 2000, uh, there was nothing going on. It was a time of peace. And uh, then things popped off on uh, uh, September of 2001, and all of a sudden um, there was no difference between uh, reserve, active duty, and National Guard, they were all deployable. They were all being called up. So um, there's not a big difference between when you join the reserves, you can be called up at any time to active duty, especially during war, and we were at war. So uh, when, I, when I played this for my wife, I kind of lost it, but I do want people to be able to watch this. So I'm, I'm really holding it in. Luckily, I'm editing this on the fly, I can stop and take a drink and just uh, serenity now. Okay, there's a big difference between joining the military as a military guy. He could have done it. I mean, anybody could have done it. He could have gone in there, joined the regular military and said, okay, I'm going to be out there and join, uh, be a grunt. But no, he's got Harvard. Remember this, folks. He's got Harvard under his belt. He's got a, a degree under his belt. He's not joining any old thing. He became an ensign in the U.S. Navy Reserve in 2009. Ten years ago, with a Harvard degree in his back pocket, he became a reservist in the, in the Navy of all things. In the Navy of all things. And an ensign of all things he became. I want so when you hear that he's an ensign in the navy, what do you think to yourself? Well, most of us are, don't have no idea. 
We have no idea what, what an ensign is. Okay. I looked it up. Okay. According to an article on the Navy's own website, an ensign assignment is a fast track to bigger things for the right person. Because the CO or the commanding officer knows ensigns are on a fast track. Their job is to separate wheat from chaff. That's what your commanding officer does. He says, okay, I've got these ensigns. They're going to become the commander of a ship, commander of a destroyer, commander of this. Or com They're on a fast track. They're not going to be taking the long way around. They are commissioned officers, okay? An ensign is like the lowest guy on the totem pole, but he, even he is on the fast track. You can go to the military's website and you can find out what, the, what an ensign does and what they're, what they're supposed to do. Your CO or your commanding officer knows that these ensigns are on a fast track. So his job is to look at these kids and go, okay, which one of you is good? Which one of you is a piece of crap? Okay, which one of you is wheat? Which one of you is chaff? Which one of you can we use for a greater purpose? And the other one is just expendable. We'll put them in someplace else. Okay. They make recommendations on the ensign that are swimmers. And those evidently like booted edge who are only worth becoming an armed delivery driver. All right. So I guess Sherman is not familiar with military rank structure. And that means other people might not be familiar with military rank structure. So I'll explain. There's enlisted and there's officers enlisted when they reach E4 are considered non-commissioned officers. Officers are considered commissioned officers. They've received a commission from the President of the United States. It's whatever. The President doesn't know them from anyone else, but that's what it's called. They're commissioned officer. When I was enlisted, I had the utmost respect for anyone who went and got their college degree and then instead of going out into the regular world, joined the military. That would be someone like Lieutenant Pete who served or, or who got his college degree and then did other things in the real world and then decided to join the military. He joined as an O-1 an ensign, the lowest officer rank that there can be. That's where everybody starts. If you're enlisted, you start as an E-1. If you're an officer, you start as an O-1. And this Navy rhetoric that, that Sherman read off the website is just their way of saying, like, they're going to separate those that are leaders of men and women and those that aren't. So you might make it to O-1, O-2, O-3, and then you're out. Or you might not you, 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 this is where you, as an ensign, this is where you find out if you've got what it takes to lead and, and, and to serve. So they're not kids. They're at the least 22 years old. They've got degrees. And up until you get up to like uh, an E6, an E6 in the Navy is a chief. Uh, chiefs are required to mentor an ensign. So if you use like a Star Trek analogy, you'll have like Chief O'Brien from Star Trek The Next Generation. He was, he was a very high up enlisted guy. And you have an ensign, um, like Ensign Crusher. And Ensign Crusher would look to a chief, an E6, for mentorship, for leadership, for guidance. And, and, but the, all of the enlisted people, the lower enlisted people, would show that ensign the utmost respect, salute, call them sir or ma'am the upper enlisted 
not so much. You got to kind of earn your stripes. Um, ensigns have a uh, gold bar in in the other services. They're a uh, lieutenant, um, but we call them butter bars. They're they're new, and it's every enlisted person's job to help them to honor their rank and to help them become a better officer. So to disparage Mayor Pete or Lieutenant Pete for being an ensign when he started out, I'm not quite sure if Sherman understands what an ensign is, but everyone who starts out in the officer ranks starts out as an ensign. And a lot of guys who are start out enlisted, and that's where he's talking about like they don't take the shortcut. There are a lot of guys who start out enlisted. They don't have the money to, to go to college. They start out enlisted. They get their degree while they're in the military, and then they become an ensign. They, go, they might go through the warrant officer program and work their way up to being an ensign. So it, it's a respectable position. If you've done something outside of the military that warrants you being granted that 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 rank that's what Pete Buttigieg said that he ended up becoming so he trained I mean he did he trained to become a naval intelligence officer that's very interesting so so we're, we're going to come back to the to the whole ensign thing or just just a second but he trained he began his training um as a naval intelligence officer, and you know what do they do? A naval intelligence officer, what is what is he? He he, he never completed his training. Okay, he began training to become a naval intelligence officer. Okay, he never really became an intelligence officer. I mean, he he worked on some financial things, but this guy was not an intelligence guy. You know what I mean? He was not that. Once again, he was padding his resume, just padding his resume of all the things. Okay. Intelligence officers, what is an intelligence officer? We have to find out what that is. I'm going to run out of time, but I'm going to try to get all this in. Intelligence officers assist in collection, evaluation, and dissemination of naval intelligence in support of surface, air, and anti-submarine warfare units and operational staff. Okay, so his job was basically to look at paperwork that he was given and try to figure out if they can use it for the Navy. That's really what an intelligence officer is. Okay, it sounds like it's more than it is, but that's basically what he is. Okay, he takes information given by somebody else, and he looks at it and he goes, "Okay, um, A, B, C, D. Okay, you can use this in, you know, your uh, uh, in in submarine warfare or something like that." Okay, that's really what he did. All right, so I'm not quite sure where Sherman is getting that Lieutenant Pete Buttigieg didn't complete his training as a intelligence officer. Uh, he began his training. That's what it says in the article that he read. Doesn't mean he didn't finish it. Let me explain to you a little bit about what Navy intelligence does. When we have planes in the air, they take photographs. Sometimes every pilot has a camera. He may take photographs of merchant traffic. We track all that merchant traffic. We're telling a story before the story is being asked to tell. Someone says, this ship just dropped off a bunch of weapons to this place. I need to know where that ship's been for the past year. We have that information. We can track that ship because we have been using intelligence to track where that merchant ship has been for all that time. We can tell the story in reverse. When we we collect intelligence through different uh, means, signal intelligence, SIGINT, 
human intelligence, human. There's, there's, there's many different forms of, of traffic that we look at. I'll tell you a quick story. This is about uh, when I was in the Navy on the USS George Washington. We were supporting a no-fly zone in the former Yugoslavia. And I walked into my space. We maintained maps and charts for all of our pilots. And we would uh, let them know what areas they could and could not fly in based on what uh, AAA and missile traffic was there. And there was a gentleman in a jumpsuit with a beard in my intel space who was looking at my map. And I went up to that gentleman and I said, hey, how's it going? Because when you don't recognize somebody, you have to, you know, say something to them. And uh, this man pointed at my map and he picked out one particular missile system, one particular radar, and he said, this doesn't work. And I said, excuse me? And he said, this radar doesn't work. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because I spoke to the operator of that radar. And I didn't need anything else. That gentleman couldn't have gotten into my intel space unless he had clearance and need to know. And he had free roam of the place. That gentleman was a ninja. And I wrote on that chart that every pilot could look at not operational as per human. So we collected intelligence from many sources. Now, we didn't just get stuff from ABCD and then say this is for the submarine. Uh, a Navy intelligence officer would take the information that someone like me, an enlisted intelligence person, would collect, uh, and they would merge all of this information. They take information from weather. They take information from the news. They take information from many different sources, and they bring them all together. This is collecting intelligence. And then they analyze all of this information, and then they disseminate this information to our pilots. These officers that were on my ship were assigned to different air wings and, and, and different squadrons of the air wing. And they would disseminate this information in what we call a brief. And they would tell those pilots, here's what the weather. Here's what's going on regionally. Here's where you shouldn't fly. Here's where you can fly. That's what Navy intelligence does. We're not just working on what's at sea. We're also working on what's on land because we support pilots. So his military service really was not stellar. Okay. Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, um, 2014. Um, so he went to Bagram. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but in 2014, upon another serving, because what happens, I guess what happens when you're in the Navy reserve, you go on, you go off, you go on, you go off. Okay. But in 2014, he took a seven month leave during his mayoral term to deploy to Afghanistan. Okay. Now this guy, once again, he's an ensign. He's not getting in trouble. He's not. He's not on a ship. Okay. He's not out in the middle of the sea with rockets coming at him. He's an ensign. He's an officer. While there, Buttigieg was part of a unit assigned to identify and disrupt terrorist finance networks. Okay. So once again, he people would give him information. He would go, Hey, guess what? There's bank statements here. You probably want to go ahead and take a look over here. And will disrupt their financial uh, uh, network. 
part of this was done in Bagram Air, Air Force Base. But he also worked as an armed... Now, this is good. He also worked as an armed driver for his commander on more than 100 trips into Kabul. This is where he got his big old panties all in a wad when he's talking to Beto O'Rourke because he's saying, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran. I had to wear, I had to have a gun on my side. Yeah, he was a driver for his commander. And he drove his commander a hundred times back and forth, back and forth. Where do, we have no idea where his commander was going to or what he was doing. Okay, We do know this. He did it a hundred times. So it wasn't like he was in danger the whole time. Buttigieg has jokingly referred to his role as a military Uber driver. So even he looked at his job as nothing more than I was called on the phone, drive general whatever, or commander whoever, over to the PX or whatever it is. Uh, he's got to buy some you know, rutabagas, you know, <laughs> or he's got to buy some rye bread for the wife. He did that like a hundred times with a gun on his hip. And so for that, he gets to be called an ar- that he gets to be called a veteran. You've got to be friggin' kidding me. Now here's where I start to get a little upset. Uh, everybody in the military will downplay their position. Glorified Uber driver, glorified garbage man. Uh, let's be clear, the guy who works supply in New Mexico driving a forklift is a veteran. He gets to call himself a veteran. If he served, he's a veteran. If you're a combat veteran, you served in combat. Mayor Pete's never said that he served in combat. He served in a combat area. Um, <sighs> Lieutenant Pete had a, a specific skill set in the financial realm as an intelligence officer. If he was able to disrupt the financing of Al-Qaeda, that's that's what he did. Um, as a driver, he didn't take his commander to go get rutabagas and rye bread for his wife. I would imagine his commander's wife was never in theater. Lieutenant Pete is downplaying what he did there because he's not allowed to speak about it. When you're in the intelligence community, we have a phrase called, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. And what Lieutenant Pete probably did, and this is just conjecture, he'll never confirm it and you'll never be able to prove it. But someone with his skills and his education, I would assume, was put at the wheel of a Land Rover to drive his commander to Kabul, from Bagram Air Force Base because he was very talented at languages. He had an, he had a uh, clearance, a, a top secret or, or above, with, with some sort of you know uh, extra clearances. And he was responsible enough to avoid IEDs, ambushes, snipers. This wasn't, uh, I really don't want to curse, this wasn't going to pick up bread he was taking his commander from the Air Force Base to Kabul. They were most likely interviewing insurgents or enemy fighters, finding out how they got financed so that Lieutenant Buttigieg 
could disrupt their financing. He was always in danger. Every time he made that trip, he was a target. IEDs, ambushes, snipers, he was in danger. If he used a little humor, called himself an Uber driver to maybe make it seem like it wasn't that big a deal, believe me. I've never been anywhere near that stuff, but I can tell you, you drive to work a hundred times and you can make it without having an accident or an issue, good on you. Drive from Bagram Air Force Base to Kabul over a hundred times. It's pretty stressful, I would imagine. That's what get, that's what galls me. There are guys who lost, like you know Joey Jones, lost both legs because he worked as a, a bomb technician. There's guys who've lost their eyeballs. There's guys who lost their, lost their arms. There's guys who've lost half their faces. Mayor Pete comes back and he says, oh, I was an armed uh, delivery driver. I was an Uber driver. Ha, 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 ha. Because I was an ensign. Ha, 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 ha. I did all this stuff in in, uh, in Kabul. No, you didn't, you piece of crap. You didn't do anything. That's what drives me crazy. Is that guys like this pad the resume, become a reservist in the Navy of all things to be. And I'm, I'm not trying to disparage Navy Guys, I'm, I'm not really. So by Sherman Ray's metrics, if you come back with all your parts, then you don't deserve to be a veteran. Don't be, deserve to be considered a veteran. Uh, if you lose limbs or lose organs over there, whether that be Afghanistan or Iraq, then, then uh, under, under his uh, uh, parameters, you're, you're a veteran. But if you come back with everything, if you served but you didn't lose anything and you served in the Navy, then you're not a veteran. That's, uh, that's bold talk from someone who never served. But the reality is the reality. Why didn't he become a, 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 a reservist in the Army? Why didn't he become a reservist in the Marines? No. He went to the place where it was probably the safest to be. On a ship in Afghanistan in the middle of the friggin' desert. That's the truth. We're not at war with people out on the high seas. So what's the safest place to go? The high seas. If you're in, if your war zone is in that desert in the Middle East, the safest place for you to be is on a ship. And if you're not on a ship, you're driving around your commanding officer as an Uber driver. And for that, Mayor Pete gets to be called a Navy veteran. Dear Lord, have mercy. On a ship in Afghanistan in the middle of the freaking desert. There are no ships in the middle of the desert. Afghanistan is landlocked. So obviously, Sherman misspoke. <sighs> When you're in the military, we can disparage one another. We goof on the, in the Navy, we goofed on the Coast Guard. We called the puddle pirates. We said they had to be six feet tall because if their ship sank, they could walk back to shore. Um, guys that are heroes, guys like Matt Best, uh, people that, that, that served at lost limbs, they can bust balls on people that didn't. But if you never served, it's really not up to you to rank the military services. Yeah. Lieutenant Pete could have joined the Army. Lieutenant Pete 
could have joined the Marine Corps, but he didn't. He, he joined the Navy. Let, let, me, let me point out how safe the Navy can be. A ship at sea, not in wartime, is one of the most dangerous places in the world. It's one of the most dangerous workspaces in the world. Uh, the ship that I served on when I did a cruise, the USS George Washington, we caught fire. We had a, a, a massive fire. Where do you go? You can't go anywhere. You're stuck. Uh, I want you to Google something, Sherman, and I hope you watch this whole video. Uh, somebody who ran for office who was politically active before you became the community relations director at Clark County Republican Central Committee, a man named Kirk Lippold, L-I-P-P-O-L-D, Commander, U.S. Navy. Maybe you want to Google the USS Cole. And I want you to tell me how safe you are in the Navy in the Middle East. Thanks for watching this video. Sherman Ray, you make me sick.